Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. Breakouts. That's what we're talking about today. We'll get the breakout-o-meter on there. Uh, we will talk about auctions. Breakouts are the most important players in fantasy baseball, and auctions are the coolest way to draft. Although, I'm not going to lie... I kind of feel like we should split up tomorrow's auction into two days because it's going to take four and a half hours, but, you know, whatever. I can deal with it. Welcome Stop to- whining. Oh, he's back. <laughs> Heath is here. I got to get called out for whining when Heath is here. Hey, Heath, what's up? What's going on? Are you doing the auction tomorrow? I am going to be in the auction tomorrow. One Five day or- hours of glory. One day or two days. What do you think? Um, I think it should be two days for sure. <laughs> I would certainly prefer that. It would make like doing my job easier. Sure. Yeah. Scott, what do you think? Two days? It ends up being the same amount of time. I don't know. I don't know. I, yeah, I get it. Blocking get it, get out five hours in one day. That's real just, tough. Just get it's it. Tough. Just get it done. Just get it over with. All right. I don't know. That makes it. That makes it sound like it's a. It's a painful thing to do, though. It's not. It's. It's a joy. Look. Look forward to these days. You. You have a job where you get to do a five-hour auction, fantasy True. baseball auction at it. This is a good thing. Ooh, that's a really good point. All right. So here's what we're doing today. We're gonna talk about our favorite breakouts. We're actually instead of like we save sleepers to the end of yesterday's show, we're just gonna do the breakouts in the first half. We're gonna read some emails at fantasybaseball@cbsi.com, and we will give you auction tips. And we're gonna have team name Tuesday on a Thursday. Uh, like Glenn Perkins, like Ann Perkins from Parks and Rec. That's a very good one. But let's Heath is on for a reason. We're going to have a Shohei Otani fight, and it's going to be about five minutes, and then Heath's going to leave. But <laughs> here's, uh, here's what inspired it. We had an email about Otani from Tom from New York City, and he said, Dear insert, insert four humorous-related names here. Um, how about Ann... Wait, what are I can't think of four names from Parks and Rec. Jerry and Tom, Chris, Tom, and, and, yeah. yeah, Leslie, Leslie, sure. What is Shohei Otani's value in a daily moves league? I'm having trouble figuring out where to draft him based off rankings. Heath is very. Heath said, if he's dual eligible and it's daily lineups, I wouldn't let him get past the third round, and I'd be tempted in the second round. So Heath, go ahead. I. We actually did one of these drafts as a mock, and I believe I took him in the second round and was uh, criticized openly in the draft room. And the funny part of this is Chris and I have been going back via email with this listener. Thank you, Tom. And I don't think either of Chris Chris or I read the email correctly the first time. 
Um, <laughs> I missed the fact that it was a categories league, and Chris missed the fact possibly that it was a daily moves league because his first response was, Otani might not be usable the first two months. Well, it's a 17-team league with daily lineup moves, so Shohei Otani is, is very valuable in that format. But Very? Yeah, yes. Yes, if you like, how yeah, valuable I, this is. This is worth saying because I don't think pe- a lot of people know this yet. He is going to have to make rehab starts, but there has been an adjustment to the rules that will allow him to make a rehab start and start for the Angels the very next day as a hitter. He does not have to go back and forth between the minor leagues. They have two locations. They've talked about this. There's an article on CBSSports.com. The Angels have talked about how they can send him to Salt Lake City or one of their other affiliates, he can pitch that night, he can hit the next night for the Angels. So I don't believe during his rehab he's going to have to miss any time as a hitter. I would expect he's going to hit four or five days a week for the first month and a half of the season. But the bigger thing was, and the part I missed, I thought it was a points league. But the daily lineup points league, you look at what Shohei Otani did as a pitcher before he got injured, and he averaged right around 16 fantasy points per game. You look at what he's done as a hitter in his career, he's averaged about 2.7 fantasy points per game. If he starts three to four days as a hitter and one time as a pitcher per week, that math comes out to about 25 and a half fantasy points per game. And there's plenty of wiggle room there because no hitter came anywhere close to 25 and a half fantasy points per week in 2019. Alex Bregman scored the most fantasy points, and I believe he was right around 22 or 23. So my argument was he is a, I guess, bench player, but someone you're starting four days a week for the first month and a half of the season. And he has a potential from the middle of May to be arguably the most valuable player in your league. It's hard to argue against that if he plays the way he's capable of Well, except 2.7 points per game isn't that great. Well... Part of the reason he's at 2.7 points per game. Well, exactly, Scott. First off, you're right. He gives you 2.7 points per game, which isn't that great. And even with that, he's going to score more fantasy points per week than anyone else. But you're rob when you start him as a hitter, you're robbing a spot from another hitter to it's do a that. So it's a 17-team league, and part of the well, reason let's he's get out of that though seven let's... points per league per per game as a hitter is because about 20% of his games in his career have come off the bench. Sure, he's he's a fine hitter, but you like it, he would just be taking the spot of another fine hitter. Well, isn't that selling him short? I mean, he's been a much better than fine hitter in his career. Shohei Otani we're talking about here. Let's get away from the 17-team league thing and just talk about, in general, Shohei Otani's value in a daily league where you can use him as a pitcher or a hitter. It is... I mean, I think Heath makes a pretty good point. When he is pitching and hitting, he has the potential, whether it's points or not, to be one of the most valuable players in fantasy if he hits well, the way that he has hit and also pitches the way that he has pitched. His value, his value to you is mostly in allowing you to hold an extra player. That's that's more what it is. It's not so much that the production is going to be is going to stand out by that much, especially really? if you're giving up your second round pick for him. Like, I, I don't think it adds up there. Yeah, well, and true. and to be clear, the word potential is carrying a lot of weight here. You're just like, asking what he has been. Right, right, right. But he's coming back from Tommy John surgery, and we actually haven't seen him pitch in a game since 27, 2018. 
Uh, and really since like June of 2018. I think he made one appearance for like two innings after that. So we're asking him to come back after missing nearly two years. Come back and be an effective starter. Like there's a pretty good chance that he comes back in mid-May and is going four innings per start for his first month. There's a chance that he just isn't that good. Now, he could be a 3-8 ERA guy, and that would be fine for most pitchers, but when you're talking about someone whose ceiling is probably 120 innings, I just like I I think his absolute ceiling is probably something like a combination of Frankie Montas's 2019 and Ryan Braun's 2019. Now, Ryan Braun's 2019, you might think, well, that's not that good. He's going like 270th right now. He hit 24 homers, stole 11 bases, hit 285. Counting stats weren't great because he didn't play every day. Well, guess what? Shohei Otani's not going to play every day. If you could guarantee me Frankie Montas from June on and Ryan Braun for the whole season, that would be a very valuable player, although probably still more like a top 30 or 40 player than a second or third round pick. I, I think he would be a top well, first off, this guy's question, like his right, 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 but we're like trying to thirtieth overall, right? But we're answering it for the whole for the whole class. Um, yeah, so this, I this would be answer. a top thirty player for the season if he did that pitching from June on. I would agree with that. I think from the point he became a pitcher and was doing what Frankie Montas plus Ryan Braun is a top five player in terms of value. All right, so I mean, let's, one, let's do this. Let's end this. I want to get the breakout, it, be, so hold on, Scott. So just tell me, finish this conversation. Staley League, you can play him as either a hitter or a pitcher. 12-team league, when do you draft Shohei Otani, Scott, Chris Heath? No earlier than, like, round six, given all the timetable questions. Chris? Yeah, I, I think round six would be the earliest. Heath? 12-team, I'll say four in categories. All right. You're a liar. Because <laughs> you've drafted him in the second round. That was a point. That, well, that was a categories, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes, it was. Yeah, a little early. Uh, <laughs> I, well, part of that is I didn't realize that everyone else was so down on the ability for him to come back from Tommy John surgery. I forgot how far back we've gone in that in the scientific development and like medicine that it's like career ending now. And there's a good chance that he's just going to suck as a pitcher now. Well, we're investing a sixth round pick. In him. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like this is a difficult thread to follow. To be and honest. it's also, I, got it. I, I will also point out, he didn't run when he played, when he pitched in 2018, really at all. Most of his stolen bases came after he got hurt. So in that case, Ryan Braun may not be the best case scenario. It might be like Jock Peterson with a better batting average, which is good, but. What does that even mean, Jack Peterson with a better batting average? <laughs> well, I think I, I think he's been uh, like a really really good hitter for two years, so I feel like you guys he's are been, selling yeah. him a little bit short okay. there. But all right, uh, we have our answer, and we got a Heath Cummings cameo, and uh, I think we're gonna talk breakouts now, Heath. Thank you for hopping on. Joey Otani is my breakout. <laughs> good call. But by the way, Adam. Uh huh. You never sent us notes today. Oh, I'll do I'm that. Flying blind. As soon as I get rid of Heath, I'll send you the notes. All right, that's Heath I got Cummings. Nothing, no idea what I'm doing. We'll take I'm a pause. Dead stick here. We'll take a pause on the podcast, but actually, for the listeners, it won't be a pause at all. So let's talk about breakouts here. Who's your favorite breakout for 2020? Scott White. 
JD Davis, of course, player I love. And um, looks like he's coming back from that shoulder issue. And he suffered early in spring training just fine. He hit in the cage. He said there's no pain, no shortage of range of motion. So health-wise, he's, he looks like he's fine. And so I can be enthusiastic about him all over again. A guy who had about a 300 batting average and 900 OPS in uh, a semi-regular role. He got a significant number of at-bats. Wasn't quite playing every day. Um, but then you look at the expected stats based on his quality of contact, they were even higher than the numbers he actually put up. So it's not like he had good luck or anything. He, he was genuinely that good of a hitter last year. And I think there's the potential for him to play even more this year. It's still a question mark. The playing time is still a thing. He's bad defensively at both third base and in left field. And Ioannis Cespedes is, uh, going to be part of the mix somehow but jd davis if he hits right away uh, he just he may find himself playing in left field every day and it could be could be a huge deal for you in the round 13 12 13 range uh, even later than that I mean, he's going 190th overall jd davis uh who would you rather take a flyer on scott jd davis or scott kingry i i think jd davis i certainly have trust in i i, I I think there's a better chance he's like a high-end stud, J.D. Davis. Scott Kingery, I feel like, is a more of a format-specific pick because he just he 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 has the variety of categories you're looking for in a roto league. So I, I like him too, but more for just specifically that format, and more because it's getting late and I still need steals. Chris, who's your favorite breakout for 2020? Well, it might have to be Miguel Cabrera. He homered off future bust Garrett Cole twice today. I just really? want everyone to know that. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, but my real answer, I, I broke my tier, my breakouts into little different tiers. And the first one was the guys who were going to make the jump from star to superstar. And my number one pick there was Keston Hira. Uh, he hit an absolute bomb yesterday. And I think something that's gone unremarked upon about him, at least it hasn't gone remarked upon enough, let's say, is he hits the ball incredibly hard. He's not a big guy. He wasn't projected to be much of a power hitter coming up as a prospect, but he was in 90th percentile on average exit velocity and 97th percentile on hard hit rate last year. When you look at the quality of the contact, yeah, he's not going to sustain the near 400 bat, uh, batting average on balls in play or 402 which is what it was last year, but he could hit 275 with 35 homers and 15 steals. That's the upside. I, I think you may have undersold how he was projected for power as a minor leaguer, too. I, I, some evaluators I know thought he was the best hitter of his draft class and um, you know, didn't have huge power, produ- didn't have huge home run production in the minors, but it was... It it was part of the scouting report that he would probably develop that. So here is going 56th overall. JT Realmuto is the pick before him. Lucas Giolito is the pick after Keston Hira. So yeah, both play a thin position. Who do you think is more valuable, JT Realmuto or Keston Hira? Keston Hira tends to go earlier, at least in categories leagues, because of his potential to help in steals. Um. If you're asking who I think is more likely to finish high, higher at his position, it's Real Muto. But 
uh, Hira has the potential to be the top second baseman. I don't. That's not. That's not a far fetched scenario. I was one hundred percent not asking you who has the potential to finish higher at the position. Uh, well, I, I didn't really understand <laughs> what you were asking me. Uh, who's a more valuable player, Keston Hira or JT Realmuto? Um, it's difficult to answer. All right, it's fine. They go back to back. I guess that's why it's difficult to answer. I do find <laughs> Scott, you have rankings. Come on. I'm sure I probably. I'm not even sure how I rank them. To be honest, I'd have to pull it up. I think maybe I'd go Hira and Roto and Realmuto in points, but I how, I think it's interesting that Hira is going ahead of another possible breakout, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And they have very similar ADPs. It will depend on the draft, but. Yeah, I guess if they're both on the board and you don't have a second baseman or a third baseman at that point, who are you taking, Chris? Hira or Vlad? Oh, Hira. Yeah, that's an easier call for me. Hira's Hira's shown it in the majors. Okay, and he could give you his deals. Okay, um, he is five spots ahead of Real Muto in my Roto rankings. I, I'm probably with you, Adam, in that I'd prefer Real Muto in a points league because I think it's a clear advantage. In in a type of format right. where you have right. to you have to be more conscious of what advantages you're getting at each position since there's so few of them. And my I guess I don't really have a favorite breakout. I'm hoping to use today's show to find my favorite breakout. Kesson Hero was gonna be one of my suggestions. Just a guy that you you want to see if you can get some shares of, but I guess I'll go with Nick Castellanos, and I know Chris is gonna be excited about that one too. Uh he's twenty eight. That's a little bit late for a breakout, but it's the ballpark shift. The only thing with Castellanos is like you look at last year, he was really bad in Comerica and then he got traded to the Cubs and he had a thousand OPS in 51 games with the Cubs and he had 16 homers. But you look at 2016 to 2018 and his home OPS and wrote up like they was typically better 2017 and 2018. He was better at home than he was on the road. He's a big time doubles hitter. And I'm just hoping those doubles translate to home runs. It's not just yes. it's not just home road though. It's like you're playing half your games at Great American Ballpark. It's a huge deal. But, well, and yeah. it's worth noting most hitters hit better at home than on the road. Yeah, but most but just in America, I mean, but his road OPS in 2016 to 18 was 840, 748, and 818. So when you looked at Christian Yelich, when, when you looked at JT Realmuto, and you're projecting a breakout because he was going from Miami to Philadelphia. The proof was that he had like an 890 OPS on the road in his previous seasons. Castellanos does not have that split to go to, but he did yes. in 2019, not before that. What I what I would also say is uh, he was in the 90th percentile or better in Statcast expected slugging percentage for four straight years. And one of the things about Castellanos is, you know, you look at the dimensions for Comerica Park, or you look at the park factors in particular. It doesn't actually rate out as that bad of a park for home runs from right-handed batters. But part of the problem is a lot of those park factors are kind of just looking at left field versus right field. And it's an easier place to hit for power to left field. Well, Nick Castellanos hits a ton of balls in the air out to center field and right field. His batted ball profile doesn't look that different than J.D. Martinez's, actually. Um, I'm not saying he'll be that good, but like a you know, 85% of J.D. Martinez can be a super, super valuable player at the 100 pick. My favorite thing about Castellanos is even if you just get a normal Nick Castellanos season, you're probably going to be okay it's with that at good. 100 overall. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's going to be like a little disappointing, but not, ah, why did I draft this guy? All right. So anyway, 
Moving on, we'll do some more breakouts in a bit. We got to go through the news and notes. We got to talk about Chris Sale. Apple Podcast Mailbag will be recorded on Friday and um, published on Saturday. So you can send us your emails at fantasybaseball@cbsi.com or please ask us a question with a five star review in Apple Podcast. Uh, at, yeah, you know what to do. We're already getting a bunch of them, so I appreciate that. If you want uh, in the football podcast league, if you're a football listener, there's one way to get in the football podcast league. It's with our bracket challenge, but the challenge is open to our baseball listeners as well. Please join it. Have some fun. There's there's really nothing to it. You just fill out a bracket. I'll provide the link in the episode description. Um, I will also tweet it. We have some time. I'll tweet it. I will. You can email me. I'll give you the bracket challenge link. But yeah, basically just play some March Madness with us. And use sportsline.com. For March Madness or anything you want to gamble on, they got optimal brackets on there. I'm pretty sure. I mean, they usually do. I'm assuming they do this year. And you can get it for $1. Sportsline.com, $1 for the first month with the promo code Vegas. Vegas is the promo code. $1 for the first month. And uh, after that, it's only $9.99. Email of the day is from Jeff, a longtime listener, a first-time emailer. Had a quick question regarding the CBS rankings. For years now, I've been choosing Roto for my head-to-head categories leagues since my recollection was that head-to-head was specifically for points leagues. Is that still the case? If you're in a Roto league, should you still use... If you're in a head-to-head categories league, should you still use the Roto rankings? Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it would... It, it, it makes a difference more in the top 300 because that's optimized for like... Uh, two catcher leagues and five outfielder leagues. And, and if you're on a head-to-head categories league, probably you're not using five outfielders and two catchers. So keep that in mind. But when you're just talking about a position-by-position context, it's the scoring, how, how valuable players are in that scoring format is the same. Yep, thank you. You know, I know that's a quick email, but we get that a lot. So points leagues, use the points ranking. Categories leagues, use the roto rankings. Injuries, news, and notes. Chris Sale has a flexor strain in his elbow. Does not, at the moment, need Tommy John surgery. He won't throw for a week. By the way, his contract extension, five years, $145 million, kicks in this year. Uh, when now, Scott, are we drafting Chris Sale? Well, okay. So he could, best case scenario, he's back at some point in May, sounds like. So that's, that's the best case. Since they're not ruling out that Tommy John surgery may still be necessary, I'm not drafting him on the best case. I can tell you that much. Um, I haven't looked at exactly how far I'm moving him down, but beyond those 37, the big 37 we've talked about, which I guess he was part of, so now it's a 36. So I'd put him behind like Zach Gallen and Frankie Montas, that group. would I take him over somebody like Max Freed? I probably would still do that. So probably just outside of that top, now 36 for me, is where I'm going to slot Chris Sale. Uh, but I reserve the right to change my mind when I take a closer look at it. You guys you guys want some data? Some cold hard facts? Sure. I looked up, I wrote, the, uh, I wrote about Chris Sale's injury and what it means for his season earlier today, cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball. Check it out. Um, and I, I found a study from 2017 entitled Forearm Flexor Injuries in Major League Baseball Players. Epidemiology 
performance and associated injuries. Epidemiology. 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 (laughs) The epitome of mispronunciation. And so the good news is 80.6% of major league pitchers who suffered a flexor injury did not require Tommy John surgery. The bad news is there were 122 subsequent injuries to the shoulder, elbow, or forearm among the 134 players who suffered the initial injury. Uh, I don't think that means there were 122 of the 134 who got hurt within the next year. Uh, A lot of them probably got injured twice, but it's not great. The, The average IL stint for players with this injury was 128.1 days. That's really bad. That would mean he's out until July? June. Yeah, right? Epidemiology, sure. Uh, But the median (laughs) time on the IL was 42 days. If you remember back to your elementary school math courses, median is the middle, (laughs) mean is the average. So There must have been people missing years with this injury. So that's the thing is that I think... (laughs) The most likely outcome is he doesn't miss that much time. You know, 42 days on the IL, give him some time to get back from to to speed, and that's probably beginning of May as like your kind of best case scenario. Yeah. Uh, the worst case scenario is he doesn't pitch this year. So I would say the Denelson Lamette Jesus Lazardo tier, which is about 130th yep. overall, because those guys have very, very significant questions about whether they can stay healthy and a little bit about whether they'll be able to pitch in the majors. We know Chris Sale can pitch very, very well. In well, the that's he's the thing. Just... At this point, I mean, I think you have to question what Chris Sale is right now. I mean, he's been having in This is three years in a row where he's got injury issues and yeah. didn't pitch very well last year. I mean, he, he did and he didn't. His, the numbers weren't good. I understand the strikeouts were good. I like... I'm not that com- I'm just not that confident that he's going to come back and be Chris Sale. I don't I just right, don't know that, how you can. Be. That's fair. I'm not I, that confident Nelson Lamette and Hazers Lazardo are going to be. No, I'm not arguing either, that. So. I just broader points. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. So I think we have them going in the same range. I, I think what's it would be an interesting discussion is Chris. If you're drafting now, Chris Sale or James Paxton, because Paxton's timetable looks more solid. But of course, it's possible he suffers a setback too. And, uh, you know, we, we think of him as a worse pitcher than Chris Sale, but the impact being a little lower. Well, that is a um, good I've, I've seen James Paxton tumble to, like, beyond round 15 in the 15-team league. So we're talking outside the top 200. That's, that's silly. That seems like good value. Yeah, I, I don't think Chris Sale is going to fall that far. I think, it's, I think it's fair to say that Sale has a better chance of not pitching this year than Paxton. Uh, right? Yeah. I mean, sales injuries yeah. Yeah. seems more serious. But, whew. all right, so what's the answer? Because I don't want to give it because I feel like I'm going to be a homer. But I just don't... 11th mean, round. No, no, no. What's the answer to Sale or Paxton? I, I'm saying Sale, but I, I think... Seeing how much Paxton has fallen, I, I think there's a chance Sale could come at a value here. It's it's too Let's early see. to tell. Uh, it's either going to be Chris Sale or James Paxton. You're right. You know, I didn't think about that, Chris. Good call. But meanwhile, the Red Sox signed, signed Colin McHugh. McHugh had a bad year, no question, in 2019, but he had a really good year in 2018, and he was solid in 2017, even as a starting pitcher. Is there a chance Colin McHugh makes the Red Sox rotation? 
he's not currently throwing while dealing with an el- coming back from an elbow issue. So I'd say you don't want to draft Colin McHugh. Aaron Judge does not have a timetable. He's hoping for opening day. We don't know. Jordan Montgomery will be in the Yankees rotation. Again, pretty good 2017. Like for a rookie, you know, really solid. Um, late round pick, 388 ERA, 1.23 whip, 144 strikeouts, and 155 and a third. That's pretty good for a rookie. That's Jordan Montgomery. Adalberto Mondesi hopes to make his return from shoulder surgery next week. Brendan Rodgers, Colorado infielder, he's DHing today. He also had shoulder surgery last season. I think they both had torn labrums, Mondesi and Brendan Rodgers. Scott, should Brendan Rodgers be on our radar? Yeah, he should be on your radar. I don't know that he's somebody you need to stash from the start of the season. But if things go wrong for Ryan McCann, if McMahon, sorry, if things go wrong for Ryan McMahon, um, Daniel Murphy gets hurt. Ian Desmond gets hurt. Sam Hilliard doesn't work out. Garrett Hampson doesn't work out. There's certainly a lot of scenarios by which Rodgers could find himself uh, playing a regular role for the Rockies. And given his prospect pedigree, he could take one of those jobs and never look back. If I told you that both Garrett Hampson and Brendan Rodgers were everyday players for the Rockies, who would you Hampson. prefer? Hampson? Okay. Yeah, I mean, he's a little... He's sh- granted it was mostly over a two week stretch in September, but he's shown <laughs> a little more in the majors and and then if you talk about a five by five context, the Steel's impact is uh more valuable than probably anything Brendan Rogers is going to provide. Okay. Tyler Beatty, giant starting pitcher, he has a flexor strain and a UCL sprain. So he might need Tommy John. We'll keep an eye on that. Danny Danny Really Santana. disappointing. I liked him a lot as a sleeper. Danny Santana will be Texas's opening day center fielder. All right, on to the breakouts. Here we go. Uh, Kesson here has been mentioned. I said Castellanos. Scott said J.D. Davis. And uh, all right, Scott, fire away with some more. Okay, so I don't have as many of these as I had sleepers, and sometimes it's difficult to distinguish between the two. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw Avi Sal Garcia out there. Under the same, so in the same sort of context as Castellanos, a guy who batted ball, the batted ball data looks pretty strong. Not as strong as Castellanos, but enough that in a hitting friendly environment, with the way he's improved his launch angle the past couple years, and as hard as he hits the ball, you could see how that could turn out pretty well for him. And if you do like a park overlay of his uh, his spray chart last year um, on Miller Park. It, it's kind of like Castellanos, the way some of those non-home runs turn into home runs. And I can see him hitting 30-plus this year. If, if the playing time is regular enough, he's, he's, he's always been a pretty good source of batting average. So if you add that kind of power to it, I mean, he's going to end up being a guy that started in all leagues. There is a little bit of a playing time concern there because Ryan Braun is... We they, we don't know how consistently he's going to play first base, um, but it sounds like they're pretty committed to playing Garcia to the point they'll even play him in center field sometimes and put Lorenzo Kane on the bench. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna call him more of a sleeper, but that's fine. I mean, breakouts have their best seasons, so Scott is projecting Avisel Avi Garcia's best season. I wish he was more of a fly ball hitter because I think Lorenzo Kane. Kind of showed us that if you hit a bunch of ground balls, Miller Park's not going to do much yeah. for you. 
but he's gotten better at that the last couple years. Okay. And, um, yeah. How about I a few more uh, after Avi Garcia? Who else? Yeah, go ahead. A few more. Um, I don't have a name queued up here. How How about uh, Max Fried? That's been a go-to of mine. There you go. Yeah. Um, so Max Fried. Uh, there, there are basically two ways that a pitcher can counter all the home runs being hit across the majors these days, and that's by missing bats altogether. We're obviously aware of that, well, where well aware of the value that has, and and Max Fried is pretty good at it. He was, I think, twenty top twenty-five in swinging strike rate last year. But the other way is by putting the ball on the ground, and Max Fried was top five in that last year, which I think tends to get overlooked. Those two together helped contribute to him having the, uh, I think it was the seventh best XFIP. It was ahead of Walker Bueller. It was ahead of Jack Flaherty. It was ahead of a lot of big names. So the fact he had an ERA over four, uh, you could say he underperformed just based on that. He's also been working on his changeup. If you look at his lefty-righty splits, Freed's obviously is a left-hander. Righties hit him pretty well. Um, at least in the context of what you'd expect from a good pitcher. Changeup is a pitch known for neutralizing opposite-handed bats. If if he makes progress with that, we could really see him take off Max Freed, and um, I don't think innings are going to be an issue for him after the, the amount he threw last year. So I, I could see him taking a step and becoming joining that group of 36 maybe even being as high as like a top 20 type pitcher in fantasy with the Braves offense backing him. All right, so we've got Avi Garcia and Max Fried from Scott. We'll give Scott a little bit more time to search and find a few more. Chris, who do you got as breakouts? Yoan Moncada. He already broke out last season, and I know there's a lot of concern that he's going to regress because he had a 400 Babbitt. And apparently I just love guys yeah. with 400 bats. <laughs> I was thinking, he and Hero, but wow, how about that? The thing is, yes, he has a four, He had a 400 Babbitt last season. He has a, two, a 369 Babbitt for his career, which is one of the highest in uh, modern baseball history. And that's over 1,500 plate appearances. So at this point, it's pretty clear he is going to be one of the highest Babbitt players in baseball. Last year, his expected batting average, 291, his expected slug, 524. He was top 10% in average exit velocity, expected batting average, expected Woba on contact, hard hit percentage. Yamakata is a really good hitter, and he took steps last year to be more aggressive at the plate to take advantage of his really, really good hitting skills. But the thing that I think is going to make him a breakout is He's struggled with hamstring injuries over the last two seasons, and that's really limited his ability to make an impact on the bases. But he is on the record in spring training saying that he wants to steal more bases. And as my good friend Scott White likes to say, stealing bases is all about intent. And so if the intent is there, the skills are there for Yohan Moncada to steal 30-plus bases. He was an elite, elite, elite base stealer in the minors, and he's still 72nd percentile in sprint speed right now. So there is potential there. I'm not saying he's going to steal 30 bases, but if you want to talk about upside, uh, Yon Moncada has Trevor Story upside. And 
Trevor Story, famously, is a borderline first-round pick. Cool. All right, Yoan Moncada. Who do you like better in a vacuum, Moncada or Castanera? Well, neither would be able to breathe in a vacuum, so I would prefer we didn't do <laughs> All that. right, fine. In a Keston sure. Hira. With a broom. Uh, Keston Hira, okay. Scott, how about you, Hira or Moncada? Hira. All right, Chris, I'll... give me another breakout. Carlos Correa. He's going to break out of not being healthy because we know he's an elite hitter over the last three seasons. His 162-game pace is 34 homers, 102 runs, and 115 runs batted in. Uh, he's hit 278, and that's with that really, really weird 2018 where his back was hurt all season and he just wasn't right. I'm going to go ahead and say, you know, I like to draft guys who are injury prone uh, because if they stay healthy, like Carlos Correa is a top 20 pick next year if he plays 150 games. See, I Yeah, I mean, I like Correa a lot. He and Seager are both really good values at shortstop, especially if you don't need steals. And Correa has been among the OPS leaders in shortstops basically every year he's been healthy. Uh, so I'm, I'm into that. I just, you know, Chris Chris has loose definitions of sleepers and breakouts, but that's fine. Uh, Scott, you got any more? Of course I have more. Come on. All right. What do you got? Miguel Sano. So I was putting together last night skill tiers as opposed to positional tiers. This is something I've been talking about for a couple years, and I finally decided to try putting pen to paper there, so to speak. I assigned every one of my top 150 hitters a letter grade for batting average, home runs, and stolen bases. A through F, basically. Among home run hitters, though, there, there were three exceptions to the A through F scale. I assigned three players an A-plus rating for a home run skill. One of them was Aaron Judge, one of them was Joey Gallo, and one of them was Miguel Sano, who is as much of an outlier as those two in terms of how hard he impacts the ball. And what we've learned in recent years, what I've learned specifically, maybe other people already knew, is um, that's the way to overcome having the ridiculous strikeout rate that Miguel Sano has between 35-40% of the time he strikes out. That is horrible. But when you're having, when you're making that kind of impact on the ball, you're having so much success when you do make contact that you can still end up being a high-end fantasy player. And he kind of already proved it last year. You project out the numbers for Miguel Sano, you're talking a 50-home run season. It's just a matter of staying healthy for him. And I think he could explode and be a recognize a name everybody who follows baseball recognizes with uh, this year if he does stay healthy. And he's one of the I, later kind of breakout picks. I mean, we've we've given you JD Davis and Avi Garcia. I think most people might say they're sleepers. It, it doesn't really matter. But Sano, I guess, has a little bit more of a level of provenness than the guys that go later than him. And I, my point is, like right now, we've given you Keston Hira. Who maybe you take in, uh, in Yoan Moncada and Kesson Hira? Maybe they are like round five, six picks for you. Um, then you can take Castellanos. Then you can take Miguel Sano. And Sano starts the year as your third baseman, and after one week, he's your first baseman. So now you've got a first baseman in Sano, and you've got a second baseman in Hira. You've got a third baseman 
in uh, Moncada. You've got an outfielder in Castellanos. You've got some late-round picks. We'll give you even more players we like. But you load up on starting pitchers early. You take these breakouts. If half of them hit, you're going to be in good shape. And it's not like these are, you know, and there are other picks you can have in between. It's not like this is your entire lineup or anything like that. So I actually, I, I all these names, I had a segment called the breakout meter and I put basically all of these names on there because I thought, oh, these guys might be breakouts, and you've already mentioned them. So I am starting to develop my favorite breakouts here uh, through this show. And I, I think just targeting these guys could be really good. You don't have to invest that early in them except for Hira and Moncada, I guess. And you don't have to go for all of them, but I, I think I've made my point. Uh, Chris, you were saying something? You forgot? Oh. That was rambling? Uh, oh, I just wanted to chide Scott for not giving Mike Trout an A-plus for home runs. You're penalizing him for being able to do other things. He's been a 50-homer guy the last two seasons when healthy. Show some dang True. respect for Mike Trout. It's a pretty good point. <laughs> he's not the outlier those two are in terms of impacting the ball, though. Yeah, but he's so... There's a whole thing we could get into. He's a 50-homer hitter. Yeah, what about Giancarlo okay. Stanton? He's not an A-plus? Giancarlo Stanton stinks. <laughs> he's not an A-plus. Quote, scope no, walk. He's not... He's absolutely um, an A-plus. This is a ridiculous grading scale. <laughs> Utterly absurd. All right, we've got Max Fried. He has Fried. so much of a track record of not being a 40-homer guy, though. Well, that's just because he can't stay healthy. Okay. Max Fried. Well, this year. Avi Garcia, Yoan Moncada. Yeah, when he gets off the IL, he's going to stay healthy. Avi <laughs> Garcia, Yoan Moncada, Carlos Correa, Miguel Sano. Earlier in the show, it was J.D. Davis, Nick Castellanos, Keston Hira. Uh, a few more before the breakout meter and just kind of a quick explanation. Chris, you go. Zach Allen, you don't need any explanation. He uh, he's really good. He's got four Zach legitimate Gallen. good pitches that he can throw for strikes and get whiffs with. Uh, there's top fifteen upside there. Scott, Kevin Biggio. These are two of my favorite stats that I'm about to give right now. Kevin Biggio's 16.5 percent walk rate last year was bettered only by Mike Trout, Yasmani Grandal, and Alex Bregman. Pretty good company, right? His Ground ball rate, in terms of how low it was, was bettered only by Mike Trout. Among so, those players. What? No, of Among, all players. Oh, okay. Of all players. Kevin Biggio had, if he had the, the at-bats to qualify, he would have had the second lowest ground ball percentage. Ground balls are the worst kinds of contact you could hit in today's game where fly balls so often translate to production. I think Kevin Biggio's ceiling is something like 30 homers and... 25 steals. I'm not saying he will reach that ceiling this year, but it's within the realm of possibility. And there's a good chance you're going to get like a 25 homer, 20 steal guy. Don't hate on ground balls too much. They often lead to batting average. But if you can make up for it in steals, yeah, that's but nice. it's they it's, lead to they lead to BABIP. I, I'm not saying gr- ground balls do lead to more batting average than than fly balls do, but. You would still, in, in today's environment, you would still rather have the guy who hits fly balls since yes, a lot Absolutely. more of them are leaving the park. Absolutely. Chris, one more. Scott, one more. Frankie Montas. Uh, his splitter is a devastatingly effective pitch. Um, he was in the 88th percentile and expected Woba among all pitchers. He took performance-enhancing drugs last year, so you know he's going to be strong this year. 
I really like Frankie Montas. Scott, one more. I am going to say Willie Calhoun. Yeah. I think he's Mike Moustakis, but he plays the outfield instead of second base and third base. Cool. Willie Calhoun. It goes a lot later than Mike Moustakis. All right, listen. I can't have a breakout show without talking about Vladimir Guerrero. He's got to mm-hmm. be on there. So, <laughs> yeah. You said you'd rather have Keston Hero than Vlad. Would you rather have... Is is Vlad the first Blue Jays hitter that should be drafted? Does Bichette go ahead of him? It's good. It's right. I mean, he should definitely go ahead of Kevin Biggio. I... Yeah, yeah, he should go ahead of Biggio, and I think he goes ahead of Bichette. Uh, I don't know that I rank him ahead of Bichette. I think I don't. As Chris has said, he wants to have Vladimir Guerrero on at least one team. I mean, you just you don't want to miss out on the potential here. Yep. Uh, breakout meter zero to ten, ten being extremely likely to break out and have an awesome season. Victor Robles, six. I'm gonna say five. Ramon Laureano, three. Yeah, three. Now, that doesn't mean he's bad. It's just that he doesn't have the same ceiling as the other guys. Right. Michael Conforto, five. I think that already happened. I'm going to say two. Framil Reyes. Seven. Yeah, I can go with seven. Yeah, seven. Best shape of his life. Seven meaning that he's going to have his best season or seven meaning that he's going to be awesome? Framil Reyes. Um, seven meaning I think he's has a pretty good chance of breaking out. I'm not. It could be his best season looking back on it. I, that's. I'm not sure how to answer that. We're not really communicating well today. All right, David Dahl, zero to ten for David Dahl. I mean, he's one of those just stay healthy guys. So well, if he just stays healthy, it's probably a seven. Not really, because he hit like, so few home runs last year, and he doesn't steal. So can David yeah. Dahl actually contribute in anything other than batting average? Well, he he was good enough there that he was must start. So it is really mostly about the health. Could he, he get better? I, I think he could get better as a home run hitter. I think he could get better as a batting average source because he struck out a lot last year too. It's yeah. it's just he needs to optimize in the way so many players have around the league. But playing at Coors Field gives him so many advantages that it looks like he's at least good enough to take advantage of. So I'll I'll put it I'll put it at more like a six. And for pitchers, how about Jack Flaherty? His ability to break out into the super ace tier, I, I'm liking Flaherty a lot. You know, I like Bueller better, but I think Flaherty would would be my sixth pitcher off the board, and that would probably one. make me the high guy on him. One, one. It's I think he's shade. not particularly likely to be much better than he was last year. Overall, well, that's the thing. Is like, didn't it already happen? Yeah. No, he had a pretty bad first half. I, I understand, but. Then he had like the best second half ever. And if you put it together, <laughs> right. and he was okay. So he ranked just behind Patrick Corbin in head-to-head points per game. So you know what, Scott? Uh, You're right. Well, it, 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 here's what happened: he won 11 games. He yeah. had a 2.75 ERA, 231 yeah. strikeouts, and a .97 WHIP. Maybe Jack Flaherty can't get better than that. But right. if he does that again, he's, he's probably a, a 16, games. 17 game winner, and then he looks like a borderline first round pick. Or just, no, because he's not going to strike out 300 guys. He looks like 
a mid-second round pick, a top 20 type of pick. So that's why I like Flaherty better than Strasburg. And that whole round three group where you've got an injured Clevenger and you've got an injured, obviously Sale's gone. You got Snell in there. Like that, I'm gravitating towards Flaherty in that group because I think yeah, the he win-loss just, record is... He tends to go like mid-second in a lot of the drafts I do. I, I, think, that's, I think that's the consensus viewpoint. I mean, I've, I've been the biggest Strasburg defender on this podcast, and I still have Flaherty ahead of Strasburg. Well, I really botched this because I just don't think we have time for auction stuff. So let's do auction stuff tomorrow. And Chris has to leave because to go to the dentist. We're doing an auction tomorrow. Yeah, I know. Big auction. So we'll do an auction. Tomorrow so I think that'll work. Leak, baby. I think we'll do the auction talk tomorrow morning. Then we'll do the auction. Then we'll talk about it on Monday and see what takeaways we had from it. Um, all right, Chris, thanks for hopping on. Thanks for having me, Adam. It's a pleasure as always. Goodbye to Heath. Goodbye to Chris. And now, give the people what they want. Just Adam and Scott. Okay. Oh, yeah. Adam Scott from I, Parks and Rec. Yeah. And also my first the middle name. Don't forget that. Oh, no. Scott, did we miss any early round breakout pitchers? Like, if Luis Castillo really starts becoming a three-pitch pitcher, and if Chris Paddock can get that curveball going in there, they obviously have huge potential you know who who stands out to you as the next guy to move up like two rounds next year well paddock it would be one of them yeah I, i'm kind of in my uh in my pitcher strategy piece where i i kind of uh got specific about how the tiers work and i i talked about the players who were actually aces last year, the players who weren't, but we still consider them aces, and then the players who are very close to being aces. That third group would be the group to look at for uh, for breakout candidates on the high end at starting pitcher. Chris Paddock would be in it because obviously he didn't have the workload. That's all it'll take. If he adds a third pitch, that'll be even better. Tyler Glass now would probably be the biggest one for me because inning for inning, he was the best starting pitcher last year. It's just he through like 70 innings or whatever. And um, we don't know exactly what to expect from him in terms of of uh, of how much to count on him, how long he's going to be there. Jesus Luzardo going a little further down. Chris mentioned Zach Allen. I like him a lot too. I, I already group him among, among the 36 pitchers that I think will perform like aces, even though he's, you know, he has only 15 major league starts under his belt. Uh, Jesus Luzardo is going to fall short in the innings, but he could be kind of like Chris Paddock was last year. In fact, I would, I would probably bet on him being that. I think he's. I don't think there's much development that needs to happen there. It's just Luzardo needs to stay healthy. The Athletics need to let him pitch deep enough into games, and uh, I think he should be great. Uh, Frankie Montas, I guess we could still call him a breakout. Obviously, it was only half a season where yeah. he pitched like an ace. Chris likes do it over a full season and it'll be a much bigger deal in fantasy. Scott, there's a pitcher that that to me has to mentally for me on draft day kind of clear a hurdle because I've I've tried to defend Eduardo Rodriguez in the past. He's sort of let me down and then I just sort of realized that he's such an inefficient pitcher and I just don't want him. Like he never gives you a quality start. He he throws 105 pitches in five and two thirds. But like this is Eduardo Rodriguez I'm talking about. But he made a change. He started throwing a sinker ball, and his last 24 starts, he had a 3.21 ERA. 
He's always been a pretty good strikeout pitcher. And um, he, he started getting ground balls. That was a big difference for Eduardo Rodriguez. The whip is always problematic. So unless he can get that down, he probably can't be a true breakout, but he could be a good value. And, you know, you just... If he were the same old pitcher that just had a really good stretch, it'd be one thing. But the fact that he changed his arsenal, how do you feel about Eduardo Rodriguez becoming a true must-start pitcher? Uh, I'm not we, there yet. <laughs> I got to see it. Well, based on the way his numbers ended up, wasn't he must-start last year? It just you're saying it happened. He really took off late in the year, so uh, yeah, we I didn't mean, regard him the same way in May and June as we did in August and September. So, look, he had a 5, 5.43 ERA in his first 10 starts. At that point, he's off rosters. Yeah. It probably yeah. takes three or four starts for people to start adding him again. It probably right. takes a few starts for people to really trust him. So half the season, he was probably a must-start. But he's got this history behind him where I don't know if I don't know if people really bought in. I don't remember how we were thinking about Eduardo Rodriguez. But, you know, uh, to me, uh, Scott and I kind of use must-start differently. I think there are... My guess is I think there are fewer must-starts than Scott does. Um, like, I sit a one-start Eduardo Rodriguez for a two-start streamer sometimes, but can he join the group where it's like, it's not even a question. You are starting Eduardo Rodriguez. Or I don't think he can get better than he was last year. Okay. I think he can only get worse than he was last year because last year he managed to stay healthy. Last year he won 19 games. That one especially is not going to happen sure. again. Um. But now that he kind of has some cred, I, 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 I think people, I think the people who draft him are pretty much going to stick with him, and he's going to give them reason to. I, I think he is. I'm evaluating him kind of like another Zach Wheeler, where not quite an ace, but he's proven enough that you're not going to mess around with that lineup spot too much. All right, let's read some emails. Fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. You know, the problem I keep running into on these shows is that I put too many segments in. So that's why the thro- the timing gets off. Tomorrow is just busts and auction talk, and that is it. And please, no major injuries today. Please, please, please. <laughs> Here's uh, Brett in Jersey. Dear Cahill, Lawrence, Hoffman, and Story. Um. Oh, come on, Scott. Hoffman, Tre- okay, so Trevor. Sorry. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, what's the deal with What's the deal with Trevor Story? Just listened to your live mock and saw that he was drafted in the first round. Why? He's got potential to lead the league in strikeouts. What am I missing? By the way, that draft was a points league, so I guess I understand the question. Uh, in Roto, it's different. But Scott, what's the deal with Trevor Story? He's actually gotten a lot better with the strikeouts the past two years. He's not a low strikeout hitter, but when he first came into the league, he was one of those Joey Gallo level strikeout guys where, yeah, it's like this is going to be a real problem for him. No, he's he's not. He's not that player anymore. And I mean, just look at how he did in a points league last year, points league the year before. Yeah, Uh, I think I think it's a reach in the first round. I think he's definitively a second round pick. Well, Okay, let me tell you where. Let me tell you what he did in points leagues, and in roto, in roto or in points leagues, he has been the number ten hitter and the number nineteen hitter in the last two seasons. In roto, he has been the number six hitter and the number ten hitter. 
So Trevor Story is a first-round pick in Roto. In points mm-hmm. leagues, I think he's more of a second-round pick. You don't need the steals. Okay. Why would you That's take fine. him over Freeman? Why would you take him over Arenado? I think it's a second-round pick. That's fine. Yeah. That's fair. I don't make a huge distinction between, other than the top five hitters, which are obviously on a different level, I don't make that big of a distinction between the hitters going in the first and second round, but I, I get your point. Would you take Jose Ramirez or Trevor Story? Well, at risk of contradicting my rankings, I'm inclined to say Jose Ramirez right now. Let me see if that's how I actually rank them so I can change them if I don't rank them that way. Are you talking points or Roto here? I thought you were talking points. Uh, Let's do both. Okay, so Story and Roto. Yeah, my thinking was I actually would take Jose Ramirez over Trevor Story in points leagues, but not in Roto. But but if yeah. I believe in but if I if I believe in Jose Ramirez, you know, why wouldn't I take him over Trevor Story and Roto? Because if he performs like he's capable of, he'll be better than you know the steals will be pretty similar. Well, let's think about that. Uh, there's a chance you could get both. You could yeah. if you don't want both, then it, it depends where you're picking. If you take Jose Ramirez late in the first round, I've I've yet to see a draft where that happens. So you should probably take somebody else and grab them with your second pick. But uh, it's not crazy to think. Yeah, I mean, he was the third dra- player draft. Consensus number three right. player last year, Jose Ramirez, and he could get back to that. I sure. Just, so I can't. Wanna... Yeah, I can't ignore. I can't. You cannot just completely pretend that the end of 2018 and the first half of 2019 didn't happen. So that's why I'll take story. So my overall points rankings, I have Trevor Story 17 and Jose Ramirez 25. Jose Ramirez definitely has more upside in that format. I'll look into that more. I have them at a $3 difference auction value-wise. Yeah, something to consider. Third base, it does have more playable players in a shallow format like that where you don't have the extra spots to work with. That's part of what's factoring in there, too. Interesting. Okay, next email comes from... Daniel Rice, I'm trying to get a full list of SPARPs, the relievers that are eligible or the starters that are eligible as relievers. Carrasco, Lazardo, Carlos Martinez, Maeda, Yarbrough, Luis Arias, AJ Puck. Is there anyone else? Yes, there are others. Josh I'm James, look- Adrian Hauser, right? Yep, Josh James and Adrian Hauser. Those are two favorite sleepers of mine. Um, Nathan Avaldi, not super excited about him, but that is somebody. Sean Newcomb, if he wins the rotation spot for the Braves, will be that. Uh, Dustin May and Ross Stripling are more like players you'd stash if they get a chance for the Dodgers later, which they probably will. And that may that may be it. Okay. He may have gotten most of them there. And this email comes from. Hold on. Getting there. Jared. I have to throw this out there after listening to the points mock draft special. Um, Sparps. I like having them on my team, but only for two start weeks. Because when it comes down to one start weeks, I will usually have them in an SP spot. For your team, Azer, your rotation looked like Scherzer, Morton, Weaver, Hamels, Keller, McKay, until James Paxton's back. And Carrasco and Kimbrell at RP. But on a one-start week, I would much rather have Carrasco in my SP slot and start a normal closer rather than Keller or McKay or even Hamels some weeks. The available closers at the time were Iglesias, Anderson, Workman, and Colome. 
yeah, you know, I would rather have a normal closer than those back end pitchers. I agree. I feel like I'll be able to like either those guys are going to be good or I'll be able to find better pitchers on the waiver wire. But it's not a bad point. I am not opposed to using a Sparp as a starting pitcher in a one start week and getting a closer, a traditional closer in there. I've done it before. I'd do it yeah. again. Yeah. Well, I mean, if if you subscribe to what I've been talking about all preseason, that there's a clear limit to the number of usable starting pitchers. Uh, if, if So if you don't have five of those guys, then one of those parts may end up having to enter your enter your lineup. But it's so easy to find a playable closer that uh, that sure. in, from a draft standpoint, there, there's there's no need to draft those guys for a starting pitcher spot. I guess it it just may end up being something you you do. Finally, plaques at the beach is in a fourteen team head to head vampire league. Ooh, those are fun. Auction. Each team. What is a vampire league? A vampire league is like you have a fourteen team league and one team does not draft, and the van that's the vampire but okay. ma- makes a team with waivers and then if the vampire team you play head to head obviously the vampire team's going to have the worst team but if they beat you they get to trade one of their players for a player on your team it could be the same position or whatever but they just get to when they win games they just start picking off the best players on other teams rosters oh that's i'd never heard of that before that's yeah. There's the van- uh, they'd have no chance of winning the league though, still, right? Sure, sure. I mean, if they yeah. get off to yeah, I mean, th- there's also there's also the league um, where one team gets eliminated every week. What the hell are those called? Why am I drawing a blank? You play a twelve team league. One team, get, the lowest scoring team, gets eliminated every week, and then all. Like a- Was that it's not like a survivor league? Is it? No, I, it's got a name. I I don't know why I can't think of it. Um, because okay. I've got vampire on my brain. The lowest scoring team gets eliminated every week, and that team's players become either available as free agents or auctions. You should really do an auction. Uh, those are really fun. That's it's a really a football thing, but those are really fun. Uh, but yeah. So a- anyway, it doesn't really matter for the purpose of this question, but it's a three hundred dollar budget instead of two hundred and forty. How does that change your thinking in a fourteen team league? Uh, it doesn't, the budget doesn't really change it. I mean, if you're working off a list of auction values that are, have been made with $260 in mind, then obviously you have to, to, to expect those guys to go for more than that. But in terms of how, what percentages of dollars I allocate to what I want, that, that doesn't change. It's just a higher number. Yeah, but I think his point in the email, I didn't read this part, but that I sort of agree with is that the high-end guys will start going for more. I don't know that the middle-tier guys, and certainly not the, the low like dollar guys, it's not like the dollar guys are going to become 2 or $3 guys. They're yeah, probably they're gonna still going to be dollar players. That's right, true. Right. But since it's 14 leagues and 14-team league instead of the usual 12 we work with, those dollar players are also going to be worse. Yeah, yeah, kind of scrubby. Kind of scrubby. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Busts and auctions tomorrow and a mailbag that will air Saturday. For Scott, for Chris, for Heath, I'm Adam. See you then.
If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework.